0: Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and and I'm a healer.
1: I'm Andrew Weissel, and I am also a healer. Wait, are we
2: seriously all healers? I'm (laughs) Carrie. I mean Lucio. I'm a shameless healer.
1: Uh, I'm not anything. I just said it because that's what Jay said, and I knew that's what you were going to say. I just wanted a match.
0: (sighs) You ruined it. You ruined everything. Well, I'm switching
2: to DPS
0: uh i guess i could switch to tank i don't know i I like healing (laughs) like i'm a i'm i I was an actual emt and like in team way back in the day in team fortress 2 when it first came out i was always the the doctor and then in like every other game since then i've just been the healer so it is what it is i tend to direct the strategy and make sure my uh goons don't die
2: (laughs) it's a very good thing to do
0: All right. So this has been a a pretty eventful week. Uh, We've gotten quite a few bits of news that I think we want to mention here. First and foremost is that uh, Kelly Diggs is no longer on the creative team. We are not going to conspiracy theorize this, but uh, thank him for all the great work he's done. He's really going to be missed by us. Uh, He started, I think, with the web team like years and years ago
1: kelly's done Uh, all sorts of stuff at wizards he's been everywhere that's
0: true uh i think he's been writing magic story since theros uh for the last few years on twitter especially he's been one of the major voices for the uh creative team uh him and allison when she joined the team and even when she was just writing uh some stories while she was still community manager uh so he'll just really be missed he cared very deeply about the kinds of flavor and things in the stories that we did so uh we got a lot of respect for him
1: yeah I'm i'm lucky enough to call kelly a friend so it's gonna it's gonna suck having him not there but uh wish him well and uh whatever creative things he does next i'm sure they're gonna be great
0: so the next piece of news we want to talk about is magic the gathering concepts and legends which is a 21st 24th- a twenty-fifth anniversary It's A Colin Firth anniversary
1: art book. Where everybody's Colin Firth.
0: Colin Firth anniversary art book. But anyway, it's uh it seems pretty cool. It's uh gonna be full of concept art and other things. We're not really sure. Yeah, uh, the, this might-
1: the description was kind of vague, but it seems like it's gonna have you know full art and concept art and lore bits from the entirety of magic history so like uh, basically an art book for the multiverse just kind of highlighting the cool unique things that make magic magic seems awesome
2: i'm not expecting like a blurb for every legend but (laughs) a blurb for the elder dragon war would be nice
1: oh please (laughs) Actually, that's something I didn't... Because I'm expecting, like, a blurb for every plane or something. And, like, the major story arcs. I wonder if they're going to do, like, a multiversal timeline in there. That would be neat.
0: Hopefully not by the same people who did the uh, Dominaria Player's Guide timeline.
2: That went a little less than ideal.
0: Yeah. And, oh, I guess we can just mention that. So the Player's Guide has a timeline inside that... um, there was a, a little bit of an error. It's an easy error to make, but so Jay's it's talking. It. Ab- yeah, it's talking about how how many years ago something was, uh, and when it gets to the Thran Phyrexia War, it says it was five thousand years ago, but it should be five thousand years before the Brothers War or the Antiquities War, uh, and so when you put it at five thousand years ago, it means there's only five hundred years between the downfall of the Thran and uh, the Brothers War, which is not that long a time, really, for it to be such a major yeah. archaeological issue. Uh, but back to this uh, concepts and legends book for a quick second, I wonder if it is a response in part because of the, the change in the schedule. Like, I wonder if this is going to be the fall viz book, and that the art books are kind of pivoting to be able to meet this new schedule to be something that might be able to be more generic when they need it to be.
2: I'd be interested in that. Encapsulating more planes per book is not ideal for purists who want the books to only cover one location or one planar location, but it's more realistic if we're going to be hopping to up to three planes per year and also a core set story, which is a thing that's happening now.
1: Yep. We're not there yet. <laughs> it's the next thing's in the okay. news. It's okay. two bullet points down on the list. Come on. How dare you?
0: Okay. <laughs> so the, that brings us to our next piece of news, which is uh core twenty nineteen. So there were two big pieces of news having to do with it. Uh the first is that it comes with five mono colored planeswalker decks that you're gonna get to play with at the pre release, I believe. Oh no, at the um what do you call that day when new people come? Open house. That's yes. it. Uh, and so we already have Tezzeret confirmed as the blue deck. Uh, the others we're not so sure about. Maybe Ajani for white, Liliana for black. Ralzerek factors heavily into Nicol Bolas's plans. Maybe he's get some mono red card. Uh, green might be Vraska or that uh, that planeswalker that was revealed in the survey a couple months ago. Vivian. We'll just have to wait and see. And then, uh, core 2019 will also have a story arc of its own, uh, but we do not know who the writer is yet. So core 2019 is going to get a story under the same model that, uh, Dominaria got a story where an outside writer is contracted for the overarching plot. Uh, and I think from now on, we're going to see mostly eight episode stories,
1: yeah, so Dominari has a lot because it was originally a two-set block, and the block got cut down to one set, but the story only had a little bit cut off, so we still have 12 episodes. I wouldn't expect the core set to have the full eight stories. It is just a core set. Um, but I would expect at least five. We'll see how many. But it, it is nice. We were told that core sets were going to have a Vorthos element to them, Um, We didn't know if that was just going to be a cohesive theme like Magic Origins or whether they were going to have full story arcs that take place in the present, which this one seems like it will. Um, And I guess the door's still open for them to be kind of prequel sets. Yeah,
0: we don't know. We've only got two pieces of art to go on with Core 2019. One is the key art, which is Nicol Bolas. So we can assume it's focused on him. The other is artwork for uh Tezzeret, but specifically, I think we mentioned this before, Tezzeret in the uh Agent of Bolus outfit, which is a very specific look that he has moved on from in more recent art.
1: He's also on Alara. Yeah. Where he has not been for a long time.
2: Yeah, exactly. He wasn't confirmed to be on Alara post-conflux in any Canon story of the modern era. Yeah, I don't I'm know. We might that. we
0: might get the actual canon retelling of Test of Metal.
2: I'm I'm not banking on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that would explain the Agent of Bolus look and being on Alara. So we'll just have to see. I think I I think our hope are the general consensus among the cast here, uh, and this is a consensus before Andrew became a flavor text writer. Please note that he has not contributed to that since that uh, it is a Bolas plans set. So it would make sense if we see Tezzeret at a certain point when he was a major factor in the the various plans and, and schemes that Nicol Bolas has been moving around the entire time. I think in time for a fall Ravnica, it would be a really great idea to have a kind of a recap block of what exactly Nicol Bolas has been up to all this time.
1: Yep, I think we've mentioned exactly that on an earlier episode. Um, probably multiple times, because there's <laughs> not a whole lot to speculate on Court 2019 yet. But uh, it seems like it's going to be the kind of expository, this is what Bolus's plan, grand scheme, since the Mending has been. Which would be nice. Lay it out. Get it organized before this big final battle on Ravnica.
2: Yeah.
0: So by June, I think we'll be turning uh, all our attention to Core 2019 in the interim. We're, we're, we're waiting to finish Dominaria, and uh, we likely get some sort of announcement day between now and the end of Dominaria, or maybe right around the end of Dominaria. Yeah.
1: I think it we probably should know more about core 2019 before this month is over that feels That's right mo-
2: that was my understanding was it was once dominaria kicked into high gear after release they were going to have some kind of announcement day
0: so we'll s- start splitting our time with core 2019 once we know more yeah all right uh so we're moving on to our fan requests segment Uh, Just a reminder that these are our thoughts on these issues and not necessarily canon or uh, something confirmed by a Wizards of the Coast staffer. So the first question we want to talk about is uh, someone wanted to know all about Chainer's story. Uh, I have bad news. Not a one of us have read any of the uh, Odyssey or Onslaught novels. I guess just Odyssey would be for Chainer. We've read other people's summaries of them. Uh, and the one I would recommend if you want to learn more about Chainer, uh, is to read Baron Bohr's, uh, Multiverse in Review. If you just Google Multiverse in Review, uh, you can find it. And he just released, uh, his Odyssey review and lore discussion. Um, we're all big fans of Baron, so I highly, highly recommend his blog, Multiverse in Review. It was actually, uh, shouted out. By the official Magic Story podcast, that as something that both Ethan Fleischer and Kelly Diggs uh, went back to in order to find the sources that they needed to develop Dominaria, which is pretty cool. Very justifying for that blog
1: effort. Yep, yep. And I would not expect any of us to be reading those block novels uh, anytime soon because we're going to be gone from Dominaria soon. Maybe, maybe the next time we come back to Dominaria again. Will have read them in preparation. Yeah,
0: this time I really, I <laughs> this time it was really focusing on uh, filling in the gaps on the Weatherlight saga that I hadn't read yet up until this point. So next time, I guess I'll suffer through the Odyssey books.
2: There's like forty some novels, so it's <laughs> not like we're just choosing to throw those ones to the side. It's just priority. Yeah, it's yeah. it's
0: stories that take place in a land that is basically gets blown up. More or less, according to the flavor text in Dominaria. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested
1: to see what the Dominaria art book actually says about Otaria, because all the flavor text from the set implies that it's pretty much gone. Yeah, not like gone. Like the land is still there, but it's it's pretty empty.
0: Memorial to War has like this uh, monument to uh, Corona, false god uh which would, I guess, have to be on Otaria, and it's just, like, this blighted lava-ridden landscape. Yep. So, I don't know who would have made that monument and where, but it's clearly not going well there.
1: Probably goblins.
0: So, the... <laughs> Probably goblins. So, uh the next reader question or listener question we're going to talk about is why were the nine Titans chosen specifically not why Urza chose them, but why they were chosen for the story.
1: I sh- should have probably explained who the nine Titans are.
0: Yes. So the nine Titans are, uh, during the invasion cycle, uh, specifically during the Phyrexian invasion, Urza enlists eight allies, uh, in order to, go with him and lay siege to Phyrexia. Uh, He chooses uh, about half of them are returning characters uh, and the other half are brand new characters who either never appeared before in uh, the story or in one case, uh, they were just kind of a flavor text character. We did not know that they were a planeswalker up until that point. So. The returning characters were basically all uh, former Armada Comics characters. Frey Elise, Christina of the Woods, uh, Taysir of Rabin- uh, Rabia, um, and uh, Tevish Zat. Uh, the reasons they were chosen specifically, as opposed to others, I mean, there weren't that many surviving planeswalkers from that era. And these are the ones... <laughs>
1: barreling dead... Lashrak is the big one that's missing, but Tevish Sot is there. They needed, the way this story with the Nine Titans played out, Urza needed a quote-unquote bad guy planeswalker to kill to activate the soul bombs. That ended up being Tevish Sot, which is why Lashrak's not here. You don't need two bad guy planeswalkers for that plot. So Lashrak gets to go off and do other stuff.
0: I would suggest that from like a story design perspective as well, they wanted people who were already tied to dominaria so like taser isn't from dominaria but he has been permanently exiled from his homeland and so he has adopted Ulgratha and dominaria as his home that's where he spends most of his time and,
1: and it's it's important to note that all these characters these planeswalkers uh were all big players during the ice age yes which was the last really like like the, the Frexian Invasion was this the culmination of this well, the Light story. So kind of in the same way that Dominaria now is bringing in all these allusions to past events for older players, uh, the Nine Titans were kind of bringing back these old planeswalkers that, you know, if you were an old magic player at, at that point in time, you would have probably remembered these characters either from Flavor Text or the old Armada comics. Um, Back
0: in 2000, if you'd been playing for all eight years, you'd remember them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have the the newer characters who were created just for Invasion. Uh, so there was one that did not actually join. Oh, I should mention. Uh, Teferi was supposed to be one of the nine Titans, but he, when Urza went to recruit him, he pieced out basically, and that's when he phased out Zalfir. And uh, himself, I think we, and that uh, well. He didn't phase out himself yet because he went to Shiv and then he phased out Shiv along with Joyrot.
1: That was a technicality. (laughs) I was summarizing. Uh,
0: I know. You're right. No, you're right. Uh, So the new characters created for the invasion, um, most of them were in jokes, I want to say. So they all mention a planeswalker named Parcher that uh, Urza was going to recruit. But everyone agreed he was a lunatic and it wasn't worth recruiting him. That was a reference to Peter Archer, who is an editor for the storyline team. He edited uh, uh, Wrath and Storm.
1: You know a planeswalker is nuts when the people who agree to an Urza plan think he's crazy.
0: <laughs> you know, I didn't think of it like that. But yeah, like if this group of people was thinking <laughs> he was crazy, he was
1: crazy. He's He's... Had to have been one of those planeswalkers who, like, made statues of other planeswalkers to taunt them. It had to have been, like, Farallon levels of nut job.
0: <laughs> uh, so then the next one was Bolivar, who's actually one of my favorite old walkers. Uh, Carrie, you had discovered what the reference for Bolivar was?
2: Oh, no, I hadn't discovered it. It was <laughs> referenced on Twitter, I believe, by Sam Fatekeeper. It was Jess LeBeau, a reference to her being Beau LeVar, and she wrote debut story, which was Colors Colors of Magic, and was also an editor on the storyline team. So, another editor.
0: Beau LeVar uh, had been planned for a while, because he he debuted in Colors of Magic as well, Uh, and he... Basically, his origin story ties into Urza's origin story, except when Ur- he was just a like a, a, a sailor when Urza blew up Argoth and his spark ignited in that explosion as well. But he's just been like smuggling stuff the whole time.
1: That's cool. T-I-L. I did not know that.
0: Daria is the one that is definitely not a reference uh, to a real life person, uh, except maybe if the Homelands people made her a reference. But Daria appears on... Um, the homeland's uh, there are a handful of cards where Daria is quoted as a flavor text character, uh, and so she was just brought in from there to be a character associated with Taser. Yep. Uh, she she's Taser's adopted daughter, essentially.
1: She only exists in this story to get killed by Tevesa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's hey flavor text character want to be a planeswalker and then go golly gee I'd love that killed. Fridged dead. No fun. Hmm. But sure, the, the story was better back then, sure.
0: She does appear on one card. I think
1: it's She's, Aura Blast?
0: Something like that?
1: I think it's like a common or uncommon. Yeah. So that that's one whole more art than Christina the Woods appears on. So, good for Daria. <laughs>
0: the next uh, Titan was Commodore Guff which existed solely to be a parody of, uh, Scott McGow. Um, a, 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 a very obnoxious parody. Carrie, why don't you share your opinion about Commodore guff?
2: Oh, I'm just, I've never read any of the source material. I just know that (laughs) fourth wall breaking characters aren't fun.
0: Yeah. He, so let me, let me explain what Commodore guff does. Like as the plot goes on, he gets, more and more ridiculous with fourth wall breaking references and that his book is essentially the book that they're all the story they're all in and so he talks about like real life editorial practices and it's just it it's some of it's amusing um but it's clear that it was like i i i I don't know it was it was it was just a whole thing um, it was not Deadpool, fourth wall breaking funny. Uh, some of it felt a little bit mean spirited. So,
1: so De- Deadpool can get away with it because Deadpool is comedy. And Deadpool's right. direct address feeds into the comedic nature and the, the parody of what Deadpool represents. De- Deadpool comics are parodies of superhero stories. Um, it works. Direct address works. And this kind of self-referentialness works when you're doing quirky, dramatic things. If you've seen the movie Adaptation, which is very good, um, only fictional person to win an Academy Award for writing that, that works well there. The problem is when you introduce comedic direct address into what is supposed to be a relatively serious fantasy IP, it's a totally clashing feel and a clashing literary technique um it's not great at all i don't like it
0: so commodore guff uh basically uh the only reason the weatherlight crew wins is because commodore guff erases the realistic ending where they all die horribly to Yugmoth because there's no way they could possibly survive there is a great line he delivers where he uh, he talks about how Sissé was always better than Gerard, which, I mean, I think everyone agrees on that.
1: Gerard probably doesn't.
0: <laughs> probably not, but he's he's too dead to, to care. Sissé lived, <laughs> lived to a nice old age. Uh, but yeah, there's like a, a whole thing where he talks about how uh, any ending that involved the Weatherlight winning was contrived, basically. So it's just very amusing in the light of people who are very down on, say the Eldrazi victory by the Gatewatch
2: yeah imagine if also the Gatewatch had a fourth wall breaking character who was saying like oh it's not realistic to end it this way but we have to end it this way and that just adds to the um kind of hurt that people had after that event where they didn't think it was as earned of a victory as um maybe it should have been
0: Yeah, imagine Jory N had a magic book where she had to erase the ending where the Gatewatch lost because it was realistic uh, and basically rewrote it so that they would have a chance of winning despite uh, none of the characters being able to realistically beat a threat of that magnitude.
1: To clarify, the Gatewatch absolutely had the ability to defeat a threat of that magnitude.
0: Yeah, we can talk more about that later. I think there's a lot more going on there than I think a lot of people assume. Uh, A lot of people start from a very, they start from an assumption of incompetence with the creative team, which I never really got because they're very invested in everything the creative team does.
1: They also start with an assumption that the Eldrazi are actually dead, which the story very quickly calls into question.
0: Yes, that's true too. All right, well moving on on the uh, That's a whole um, other
1: topic. That's another yeah, rant for another day. It's on my we could list talk of about rants that in,
0: for a while. So, the last of the 9 Titans is Lord Windgrace, uh which we tried to find a a connection, but he seems to be one of the few original characters who is not a reference or parody to a real life person. Uh there was apparently a fanon for a long time that uh Krovax, who's the the nobleman from Erborg who becomes a vampire and Evan Carr of Wrath uh was Crovax Windgrace or Crovax of Windgrace but both Berend, uh who we referenced earlier and ourselves have combed through a whole lot of sources and can't find any connection between Crovax and Windgrace uh so it might have just been a game of Orthos telephone who knows
1: the one thing that is weird though is that um, other than Tevish Sot, who's become this kind of demon-dragon-monster thing, even though he was originally human, Windgrace is the only Planeswalker introduced that's a uh, not a human. Uh, mm. Windgrace is a Black Panther cat warrior, which we don't know why either. So the only reason I can think of why Windgrace is a cat person instead of a human is that People were, players were kind of salty that Miri died so easily on Wrath a couple blocks before. Um, So they're like, hey, here's another cat person for you.
0: So the last thing I kind of want to mention here is that uh, every time there was a large gathering of planeswalkers in the old lore, it was kind of a uh, a clearinghouse, a fire sale. Uh, So... (laughs) (laughs) during um the uh ice age the summit of the null moon a whole bunch of people die and they die immediately afterwards as well uh and then you brought the survivors from that basically to the planeswalker war we have no idea who won or lost the planeswalker war because it was like the unpublished conclusion to the comics line stuff but uh we can, we know for a fact that Christina, Taysir, and Tevisat all survive that, only to die in invasion. Uh, and then the next time we bring a bunch of planeswalkers together, we bring the survivors of the Nine Titans, which means, includes Frey Elise and Windgrace, and a whole bunch of the planeswalkers we missed, like Lashrak, uh, into Time Spiral, where, again, we, there's a massive culling. So, uh, next time we see more than, like, four or five characters together, Planeswalkers together, that maybe aren't necessarily Gatewatch, we're probably going to see a bunch of deaths. Hour of Devastation came pretty close.
1: What? So, like, a big war with Nicol Bolas on Ravnica, where Ajani's going to bring a whole bunch of friends and the is going to bring a whole bunch of friends?
0: That's what I'm saying. If you've been holding out for deaths, I, I can't imagine, uh... A, a big, once all those reinforcements are there, that there's not going to be a toll. All right, but let's get into this week's story. Uh, So this is Return to Dominaria, episode eight. This is a uh, Chandra-specific story, uh, Chandra-centric story. I cannot talk. Christ, what is wrong with me? All right, so this is a story that's centered around Chandra's search for Jaya Ballard, uh, and it basically rewinds the clock to immediately after the um, the Gatewatch splits up there at the beginning. Uh, Jaya senses Jaya Ballard. I'm sorry, Chandra senses Jaya Ballard's Aether Trail.
1: But she, she senses a pyromancer's Aether Trail, which she hopes is Jaya's. Because this is Chandra and she works on hopes and feelings and not rational thought.
0: Right, she she senses a...
1: And it's worked out well so far.
0: She senses a powerful uh, pyromancer's Aether Trail.
1: And, like, who else is it going to be? Yeah, exactly. Balthry's? Come on.
0: There is a... <laughs> uh There is a uh, major tease for the whole Chandra and Nissa relationship, where Chandra laments that Nissa left her specifically behind.
1: Also said, Chandra hopes the others are okay, but she misses Nyssa. But, like, it's, like, come on, just just do it already.
0: Now, Keith, Chandra uh, goes back to Carol Keep, which we haven't seen her at in a while. uh, And she attempts to take Jaya's goggles, which are sitting at the keep. Uh, and Mother Ludi catches her there, and she very quickly tries to come up with uh, a, a story. And she talks about how she has found Jaya Ballard, and Mother Ludi just like freezes uh, until she realize until Mother Ludi realizes that Chandra doesn't actually know who or where Jaya is yet. It's a clue. A clue. A clue. Uh, so Chandra goes back, she travels to New Argive, and we get an awesome reference to a random commander, Prosh, Skyraider of Kerr, and the kobolds of Kerr keep. And so the Chandra- ca- The Kerr
1: ridges run uh, east-west, kind of-
0: Southwest to northeast into the Carpluzan Mountains.
1: They basically cut the island in half- with New Argive on the bottom and the Bolduvian Step up above, is the point. Yeah, But yeah, Prosh, who we, like, had no idea was just going to show up in a set with a billion legends, and they toss one more in for us.
0: Yeah, rather than referencing, like, any of the existing legendary dragons in the set, they, uh, they reach back.
1: Because well, they're all over in Chiv. I thought it
0: was just a very cool, very cool way to throw out that extra bit of flavor there. Yep. As if this set wasn't flavorful enough. Is this the enough.
1: first magic story that has ever had kobolds in it?
0: It is the first at least post-revision story that has kobolds yeah. in it.
1: My, I, I believe. My guess is there's a, a short story in one of the anthologies probably. Yeah. There's a billion yeah. of those. We gotta read those at some point.
0: I I think so. I'm trying to think back. So Kobolds only really appear in early magic sets. Then they got a reference in Time Spiral with uh, Kurkeep. Uh, and then they got the reference again with Prosh. And that's really all they've appeared in magic. So there's Kobolds of Keep, the card. I think there's like a Kobold Chieftain or Kobold King, something like that. Yeah, there's a then couple there's, Kobold cards. Then there's Prosh and Kurkeep. And those are all the cards that uh, that reference them. But it's cool to to see them again.
2: It's fun to have any kind of commander, relatively commander exclusive yeah, um, characters introduced too. back into the main story. They did this very lightly with... Kalia? No, I'm trying to think. Jovala on uh, Innistrad? Oh, uh, yeah. Jaleva? Jaleva. Jaleva? Jaleva. Jaleva? There's, there's a whole bunch it? of letters in there. You just mix them up. Um, Damn
1: J names!
2: Yeah. <laughs> She was referenced in the Magic the Gathering Innistrad art book and was said to have, um, through her psychic powers, was, had some kind of immunity to um, the madness that was plaguing Innistrad. But yeah, immune character, but just entirely off screen for most of the um, story, for all of the story as it came out in Magic Story Online. Um, Which is still fun more to see them. Yeah, exactly. Which is still more than most other characters that have been introduced through the Commander series.
0: So, Chandra is on the trail of this new Argive uh, fighting force. She's on the trail uh, because she thinks Jaya Ballard is with them. And she discovers the kobolds that this force was riding out to meet uh, are, in fact, setting up an ambush. So she fights them in the forest and uh, she tries to follow Mother Ludi's advice in um, focusing her pyromancy blasts, but she ends up losing control and setting fire to a bit of the forest, which she specifically did not want to do because back in the purifying fire, the entire plot kicks off when she is not careful with her pyromancy and ends up setting a large section of the fire, uh, the forest on uh, Ragatha, just outside of Carol Keep, on fire, and displaces all these poor little oofs that are not really poor. They're they're very very mean oofs, uh, and it gives the Order of Heliod, uh, I'm sorry, the Order of Heliod, Freudian slip, a chance to uh, basically use that as an excuse to move in on the Pyromancer's territory at Carol Keep.
2: Yeah, going after the ghost wardens in the forest. And I've never heard the word oof set out in real life. So, that's a first. Oof. <laughs> I'm yeah. not
1: even gonna call you on that, because I don't even know how it's pronounced, so.
0: Oofs are weird, or oof I don't know how to pronounce them. They're weird, because they're like, it's a word that is has been used to refer to both elves and goblins.
1: It's, yeah. it's uh, traditional folklore. Northern European mythology, where all sorts of little fair folk have a billion different names that are a bunch of. They're all regional. Uh, they're all, like, season specific or location, like, geographical location specific. And they all get used interchangeably depending where you are. It's very confusing.
0: Yeah. For those of you sitting at home, if you thought there was a meaningful distinction between elf, fairy, and goblin in folklore, there really is not.
1: Yeah, that's. That's an interesting topic in fantasy that would be a good... Someone take a note that that is a future thing when we have nothing to talk about. We can talk about arbitrary distinctions between fantasy creatures. Because it was not until games like Dungeons & Dragons came along that fantasy actually had distinctions between things like worms and dragons and drakes and wyverns and basilisks and cockatrices and stuff.
2: But also demons and devils. That's the one that's always gotten me is that they're for the most part entirely interchangeable outside of magic.
1: Language is fun.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that was a fun aside. Yeah, we'll talk about that more when we are in a uh, fallow period between stories. So Baird uh, ends up being the guy who is at the head of that uh, new Argivian force, uh, and he thanks Chandra for her help and mentions that. Jaya had already depart- departed for Yavamaya um, in order to meet a friend she had not seen in a long time. So uh, Chandra heads over there. Baird also gives and- her snacks. Oh, that's true. He does. That's he's very, a good guy. very very good guy. He's he's a chill dude. <laughs> uh, uh, Chandra hops a boat over to Yavamaya, which is only like a mile or two off the coast. I didn't realize it was that close.
1: It's it's tricky to say because we know that the forest is way overgrown the island itself. So the forest extends into the ocean in all directions now in this giant mangrove forest. So it's weird. Geography is weird.
0: Geography is weird. Um, yeah, because we don't know exactly where she was looking at it from either. That's true. So she uh, notices that there's like trees swaying and this metallic clanking. And she walks in on these giant robots fighting these giant uh, animated trees. Uh, And this little robot walks over to her and makes sure she's okay. Uh, And we later learn it's Karn.
1: That part really amused me because they describe Karn as the small robot. But Karn's like eight feet tall. And we know Chandra's really short. So like, like, like Karn probably has almost three feet on her and he's described as the little robot, the smaller robot, which just, (laughs) I think it's funny.
0: So, uh, we also learn why Karn is in conflict with Multani. Multani isn't fully recovered yet from his ordeal in Time Spiral, which I've talked about before. He kind of got obliterated by, uh, uh, Jessica. Yeah, he kind of He kind of got dead, but they even back then they said it would take a few decades for him to reconstitute himself because he's not a he's not a a, a physical form. He's like a, a spirit that inhabits the. He's an elemental avatar. Yeah, that's a new thing. They added the avatar bit more recently. Uh, and what what's weird though is they didn't go back and add it for his old card or Malimo's old card. But that's whatever. Uh, and then we discover that Karn was the friend that Jaya was, uh, coming to meet. And so, uh, Chandra hears a very familiar voice from behind her mentioning that she thinks those goggles belong to her. And as she turns around and it's Mother Ludi and she has like a mind exploding moment. Like, how did Mother Ludi get here? And let me tell you, like, that was very vindicating. We have two major theories going into Dominaria that we wanted to see pan out, and this was one of them. Uh, this is like a 10-year-long con. Um, whether or not it was always planned this way, which it feels a little like it was, because Mother Ludi, even back in the Purifying Fire, knew a little bit too much.
1: To clarify, Mother Luti's Jaya which you did not say, Jay.
0: Oh my god. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's not its not explicitly confirmed. I think back in the trees, the little snow-covered trees, I think I see Tezzeret with his portal hand. So, yeah. It might just be interplanar transport.
0: <laughs> and what, Mother Ludi is a
1: reanimated-like lich?
2: Yeah, coming back for what she owned prior. The goggles are her phylactery.
1: Everybody listening, please disregard the last 20 seconds of what was said. <laughs> That's just Carrie trolling all of us.
0: So for those of you who want to know more about Jaya, uh, listen to, I think, our podcast number two is our Ice Age story, and we talk all about her there.
1: I think we we mentioned the, the Mother Lootie's Jaya theory, I think, in our first episode. Um, but then, yes, the, our second episode is the Ice Age episode where we we cover most of what we know about jaya as a planeswalker and
2: after that episode came out we had the republishing of the ice age novels in ebook form so you can go to um oh that's right tweet in the description of this or a link in the description of this cast and buy the ebooks and actually read them on mobile on the go
0: So what's interesting about Jaya is we actually know about very little of her life. We now know, uh, we know about 20 years as a mortal around the ice age, and then she disappears from the story until, uh, three years ago in story when the purifying fire happens roughly. Uh, so we now know that mother Ludi, who is this wise, uh, elderly woman who runs Carol Keep but isn't strictly part of the hierarchy there, which was always she's, weird.
1: Like she's just, it describes her as she doesn't have an official title and she kind of comes and goes as she pleases because she's a planeswalker and sometimes she's not <laughs> on that world. Um, but she's just like kind of the old wise lady who's just around. Like she's just there.
0: And she, she's always spouting off Jaya quotes or Jaya stories for every occasion, some of which she probably shouldn't know because uh, what we're told about Carol Keep at the at the start is that it was inspired by Jaya, so like Jaya didn't actually found it, but now we know that Jaya did found it and has basically we don't know for how long, but has been pretending to be this Mother Ludi in order to guide the students at the monastery.
2: Yeah, there's a couple interesting notes. Um, when did she meet Karn? At any point, because apparently he's an old friend, but old could mean 60 years ago or even further than that, down to um, when Karn ignited as a planeswalker. Um,
0: Because we just don't know anything. Like, Jaya is great because she is a completely open book from 2934 to the modern day in, like, roughly 4560. We know basically nothing about her life except... That she ignited as a planeswalker twenty years
1: after the end of the ice age. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is this is a good moment to talk a little bit about behind the scenes processes of writing stories, especially big IPs like Magic that are going to have stories that go on for years and years and years. The less you know about a character, the better they are to write because you can always fill in stuff later. So this is why, like, like Obnixilus, we're told, okay, he. We we have this vague line that he goes around and conquers planes, and he was on Zendikar a long time ago and sought the
2: Chain Veil a long
1: time ago, but that's
2: it. Well, even before that, he was, in it was the original flavor text for Obnixilus from Zendikar, saying that he was a fallen planeswalker, and that was it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wide open backstory. There's gonna be a point sometime in Obnixilus's up. I'm not even going to try and say, pronounce the possessive of his name. Ob's future.
0: (laughs) Ob Nixilises.
1: Exactly. Some point in Ob's future, I'm sure we're going to get more details about his long backstory and what he's been doing. But we don't have it now, which is great for whoever's writing those things in the future. Because the less you have nailed down, the more freedom you have to make up cool stuff.
0: As a note, for those of us, you know, like we as as a group are, you know, always upset when there aren't more details on something when it comes to the world building of a set. But the same principle applies, like especially with returns, uh, they don't want to pigeonhole themselves before they know what they're going to need
2: on the next return.
1: Right.
0: But let's get let's get back to Mother Ludi's history yeah. for a minute. We
2: so um, got a little more to dive into.
0: She knows way too much about the metaphysics of planeswalking. Like she's talking, oh, they have, they say that planeswalking is like blah, blah, blah to to Chandra at one point in the purifying fire. And Chandra's like, they who? You're the only person here who knows about planeswalking. And of course, because it's Chandra, she immediately, she doesn't follow that line of thought any further than that. Um, But it's like... Back Even back then, when I was reading that, I'm like, huh, I wonder if she's Jaya.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been absurd at any point after the Purifying Fire was published to think, wouldn't it be cool if Mother Luti was Jaya Ballard? But it would have been totally unfounded fan speculation. Right. Um, whereas the moment we saw... So, so the art for Fight with Fire was one of the first images we got from Dominaria that was at Pax Unplugged last October. And that's when we saw, hey, that's Jaya Ballard. Hey, that also fits the description from Mother Luthi. She's also wearing the clothing from Carol Keep. Oh my god. We realized that it was absolutely confirmed in our minds at that point that Mother Luthi was Jaya Ballard
0: yeah i think it in all in all seriousness i think it took me like that night i immediately dove in and wrote the
1: jaya ballard returns piece yeah that was a good turnaround on that <laughs> for someone who was going to be driving up to to philadelphia like the next day
0: so it was the weekend of pax unplugged uh, like friday is that reveal in the morning i'm driving up to pax unplugged that night i wrote the whole thing did all the images and, like, sent it through. It was and published it, on Monday? It, it was published on Monday. Edited and published on Monday. So we'll link to that, because that has all the specific details of the things we're talking about right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is really nice. It's nice to, like, write a spec piece and have it just be right. <laughs> <laughs> like, especially after IXALON, where we were... We had to, like, go all the way around in a circular motion to become right about some things. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah
0: yeah i like yeah, what we this were, happens i would say i would say like 90 for five percent of the theor- theories in uh the jaya Ballad returns piece are right the the thing that hasn't bor- borne out yet is uh any connections to heliod which uh maybe we'll see in the future
1: yeah but that that connects to another
0: yeah that connects to a whole other thing That we don't need to talk about right now. Yeah.
1: Like, that
2: is,
0: when it looks like we're returning to Theros, we have a lot to say.
1: Those are going to be good podcasts.
2: Yeah. Speaking of that big sun boy, the Order of Heliod on Ragatha was led by Walbert, and he was recognized by Mother Ludi to have knowledge of planeswalkers, and was actively monitoring which planeswalkers were coming and going on the planes, so that, like, well, actively noting which people were appearing on the plane out of nowhere. So Mother Ludi is an established character there. Makes her disguise make a little more sense. Um, Jaya Ballard isn't suspected by Walbert as far as we're aware. Um, but yeah, he definitely knew about Planeswalkers too. And Mother Ludi is sure to warn Chandra of that. And then there's the connection to Gideon. Um, Gideon does meet Mother Ludie, and Gideon and Jaya Ballard will end up on the same weatherlight. So I'm that's a reunion waiting to happen. Yeah,
0: I- I'm really excited for that.
1: Yeah, and conf- she's seen Jace once. Yeah,
0: yeah, she's seen Jace once. She's had his, heard his description after Chandra's duel with him, and she's only actually seen him in. uh, I think it's Offers to the Fire.
1: Yeah, it's it's when Gideon and Jace show up after leaving Ravnica, but before Battle for Zendikar. They show up for Chandra, and I think Ludi's there in the scene. I'll have to look. But it's fun because she makes fun of Jace as soon as he shows up on the wall I like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is Offers to the Fire uh, where uh, Mother Ludi meets Jace. But again, Jace, I think I talked about this when we saw that preview when we had that stinger uh was that jace uh is now like a beefcake and isn't wearing his hood so you know it's like a very different image from uh the hooded guy who showed up and she saw for five seconds uh like a a year ago uh and the other note is from offers to the fire we learned that jaya's goggles are in carol keep uh and that is a very suspicious thing to happen with what we know about the keep like why would they have jaya's goggles specifically did she leave them there uh there's there's it, it's a it's a little bit wonky because part of the reason we knew it was jaya uh when we saw that fights uh fight with fire artwork uh is that the goggles were on her but if they are on her How did they get there from Carol Keep? And it turns out the answer is... Chandra brought them. But the other thing we should note... Is the three of us were very much on the Jaya Ballard dies train. And this... That's been completely blown to pieces. (laughs) It was Uh, built
2: on red fabric. And... That wasn't the wisest thing to build anything on.
0: (laughs) Well, it was a fun theory... From what little images we had. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure that's that's over with now. I would very much like Jaya to stick around in the story anyway, so I'm cool with the, us being completely wrong on that front.
2: Doesn't her planeswalker profile allude to that?
0: Uh, I wouldn't know yet because at the time of this recording, the uh, all the profiles are are down.
2: Okie dokie. Let's blow through some speculation then.
0: Alrighty, so here we go. How did Jaya and Karn meet? So if they're old friends, when exactly did they become old friends? Was it when he was after he was a planeswalker, or was it in like the thousand years before he became a planeswalker? Uh, And like, what was the nature of their interaction there? I think that's that's something that's very interesting to me. And what I like about it is both Karn as a planeswalker has like several hundred years of blank slate that can be built on. Um, and Jaya has the same, yeah, something, okay. something like that between. Uh, no, I guess like, three
1: hundred. It's it's the full three hundred between the invasion and the mending. Because uh, he so after he ascends, it becomes a planeswalker and during the Feroxian invasion, we don't see him again until the end of Scourge when he picks up the Marari and Jessica. And we know sometime in those two hundred years he's created Argentum, and then after that there's about oh was it two hundred years. Did I say 200 years between the invasion and then? I meant 100. And then there's about yeah, it's a- 200 years right. between Scourge and Time Spiral, where for some part of it, he's locked out of Mirrodin, and then eventually bloops in for a second. Bad stuff happens. He cleans it up and then leaves again. And then we don't know what he's doing until Time Spiral. So, yeah. Right. And it- Time
0: Spiral is when he... We see what he's doing, and he goes to New Phyrexia, basically.
1: Yeah, and then from Time Spiral until about three years, ag- two years ago in the story? When was New Phyrexia? About two years-ish. Yes. Um, we know he has been on Muradin as the father of machines being corrupted. So yeah. at of his time as a planeswalker, we have a 300-year a gap between um, Apocalypse and Time Spiral where he bloops into the story for literally two seconds twice. And that's it. Karn could have been doing almost anything, um, other than creating Argentum. We know that happens at some point. Right. Before Scourge.
2: I will say on oh I will say on a somewhat jokey note, we are 0 for one on retroactive friendships attributed to Karn. <laughs> after the quest for Karn tried to make Venser and Karn um, besties when there was a very, very extremely narrow, non-existently narrow um, window of time for them to have become friends.
0: They knew each other for like three hours.
2: It was necessary to plot hinge the investigation into where Karn went, but it just made no sense as they wrote it in Quest for Karn.
1: This is why you like characters with open backstories instead of... Characters like Karn, whose whereabouts were very carefully documented because they didn't change between Time Spiral and the quest for Karn. But I guess nobody told the
2: author that, so that's a mistake on Wizards' part. Next piece. What is Karn up to in the forest?
0: So we know he's digging.
1: For a
2: dish. Or
0: something. Oh god. Maybe.
1: It's a dish! The rest of the Civilware set.
0: That was my first theory, is that it was something to do with the Golgothian Silex. But I wonder if maybe instead it's another piece of the, and I think Andrew, you're the one who suggested this, if it's another piece of the uh, apocryphal legacy that we've been talking about.
1: It's, yeah, it's hard to say, because we know, I'm going to have to remember off the top of my head, I think we're about eight days after Chandra arrives on Dominaria, when she meets Karn.
0: Something like that, yeah. I
1: think she mentioned it's like three days travel up to the carriages and five more days to Yavimaya. I think so. I only read it earlier today. We'll see how good my memory is. But we don't know how long... So that's that's about eight days after the, the very first story when she origi- originally leaves Gideon and Liliana. We don't know how long Gideon and Liliana have been doing their thing. So we don't know. So like... Where the rest of the Weatherlight crew left off was picking up Teferi ferry Jamora. and we don't know how long that is after the beginning of that of uh, th- this block. I think
0: that's months in the future. In the future, at this point, to be honest, because like the whole uh, rebuilding the Weatherlight took more than eight days. That, if I remember correctly,
1: yeah. But that's that started before anyone else. Before the Planeswalkers got here.
0: Yeah, that's that's possibly true. So the timeline for this, we'll just have to wait and see how it all lines up. Yeah, we're
1: going to iron it out by the end, once we have all the information.
0: Uh, so one of our other questions is what Jaya has been up to in the meantime. Uh, I think we are all on the same page, that there's some sort of uh, Heliod-Heliad connection there. Like, it seems odd that she would set up camp... Right outside the Order of Heliod's front door, uh, and that we know there's with Gideon that there's just a whole lot going on there. I mean, like it would have to be a whole thing by itself to talk about Heliod, Heliod, and Gideon.
2: There's a connection between Gideon's mentor's mentor and him being that person being killed by a pyromancer. Right. Exactly. So so, so it seems suspicious when the entire story hinges on. Pyromancer versus Pyromancer, and then there's some ancient rivalry that's going on, and now we know that Mother Ludi was right next to uh, something that shares the same name with uh, another a deity from another plane, who some speculate to be a planeswalker,
1: and would give a good explanation for why she took another name and posed as a mortal. Yes, instead of a planeswalker. So we'll see. There's. A lot of that backstory is hinted at, and that all seems pretty recent. I, th- I think the thinking is that most of that happened short, either shortly before the mending or shortly after, based on our theories of what the Heliod-Heliod connection is. So we'll yeah. see.
0: All right, and the last piece of speculation here is what does this Mother Ludi reveal mean for the Raven Man is Limb dual theory? So we've talked about that a lot in this podcast. Uh, and I think like it makes me feel good because it means the creative team is definitely willing to connect a character that's existed from the start of the post-mending era to one of these older Ice Age characters. It it, it bodes well for the limb dual theory because it means they're willing to make that connection.
1: So, and not only are they willing to make the connection now, it's that they're seemingly picking up from that connection that was. Intended in the Purifying Fire, which was written under the past creative regime, so yeah, it we don't know for sure if Mother Luti was always intended to be Jaya Ballard. It it really seems that way, um, but we don't have any confirmation from wizards about it. Um, but it it seems that way, and if it's true that that they were willing to keep that connection intact now and still thought it was a good idea to bring an Ice Age character back to the present day. Th- those have been kind of the, the big questions about Limb Duel, um we've had, is whether he was the Raven Man was intended to be Lim Duel when that story started being written, which was shortly after the Purifying Fire was published, and whether or not the current creative team would be willing to make that kind of connection.
0: And I think it helps that uh, Jenna Helland and Doug Bear have both been around forever at this point. I think they're the longest serving members on the creative team. Like 10 years on the story side is is a lot of time compared to, say, uh, other notables like Pete Venters who were only there for a few years.
1: Jenna wrote some of those early Planeswalker comics with the Raven Man in them. So she is one of the people who is absolutely... A bridge between um the stuff that was happening then and now
0: so i think at least since 2014 2015 this has been the intention for both characters because of the way offerings to the fire was written uh and how jaya's goggles were there they must have clearly had I, i think they might have had a more clear plan in place for her and they were just waiting for whenever they would get to dominaria uh and they're just keeping it in their back pocket maybe um, or it has been just something there is that if we ever bring Jaya back, we will connect her to mother Ludi. Uh, and that might be the same thing with, uh, limb duel. This really seems like a good set for it. Uh, but if Bolas schemes is core 2019, I think, um, it might also, the reveal might be saved for then just cause Dominaria has such a short story. Uh, that would be a lot of explanation required for the Raven man, uh, in what the four episodes we have left. Yep. Alright, with that, final thoughts. Andrew?
1: Uh, there was a line in this story where Chandra planeswalks uh, when she first leaves Ragatha. Oh, good call. Um, I'll read the line. But Chandra had already turned, ghostly fire flaring up around her as she stepped out of the plane. This time, she knew exactly what she needed to do. The important word in that quote is ghostly. Um... Which, I don't know if this is intentional uh, as a reference, but Ghostfire is a spell that Chandra knows. Um, A very special spell. It's Ugin's magic that she learned from the Dragon Scroll and had story significance in the original Zendikar block. The Ghostfire is one of the required pieces to open the Eye of Ugin and unseal the Hedron network that was imprisoning the Eldrazi. uh, Which... Bolus through Rama's manipulated Chandra into learning the spell. It's a whole thing. Chandra's kind of post-Hour of Devastation quest is to find more power and find more focus. Ghost um, Ghostfire is alluded to being a very powerful type of pyromancy. It's something that Ugin the Spirit Dragon uses, and he's one of the most powerful planeswalkers in the multiverse. If she can Figure out how to harness and control ghost fire, um, that would be a very powerful asset against Nicol Bolas. So I'm wondering if this is maybe a seed or it could just be a coincidence. And I'm not sure which, and I'm equally not sure which. So that'll be something to look out for in the next coming year.
0: All right, and Carrie, last thoughts.
2: It's entertaining to have read The Purifying Fire pre-Origins um, because you discover through the novel that Gideon was never described to be invulnerable. He uses yep. magic in the novel um, at least once, but his main influence for that kind of retooling or reattributing of his ability um, what showed up on Gideon Jura and then Gideon Champion of Justice, was that he could turn indestructible. But then they tied it to a plane that also has ties to the purifying fire. And there's an ominous Heliod cloud in the background of Kithian. It's some fun stuff to think about. Eventually we'll dive into it.
0: And we'll repost Carrie's uh, article on breaking down the order of Heliod and
2: Heliod. Yeah, that'll need an update someday. Someday very soon. Better be soon.
0: (laughs) Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.